talking about Hebrews, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. Right. The, the joy before him was the opportunity to redeem mankind mm. and the expectations of scripture to like, now you go sacrifice. It's not now whip yourself and be sad, mm -hmm. but it's you have this indwelling. Allow it, permit this indwelling to manifest it because the indwelling wants to, Jesus wants to manifest himself. Stop squandering that. Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. Now, if there's some strange sounds that take place during this episode, let me explain what's going on. Lugie Regeer is with me, and we are in Fredericksburg, Texas. We've just gone through the, uh, the Pacific War Museum here in Fredericksburg. And uh, it's a, if you haven't been here before, it's a, it's a really big museum. It takes hours to go through it. We got here early in the morning. We were the first two to walk through the doors. And we, uh, we, we spent the whole morning in there, took a break to go to lunch, and then came back and walked through it. We are exhausted. Our, we're mentally worn out. And uh, we've, uh, we've had some discussion throughout the day with it. Now we're sitting in my car. Now that's why there's going to be strange sounds. You'll hear traffic go by probably, and every once in a while you may hear us open the doors because it gets hot in here. Um, but anyway, uh, I have Lugie again with me. Lugie, hi. Hello. Thanks for doing this with me. I appreciate it. Lugie came to me about a, oh, just less, less than a year ago yep. and said, hey, why don't we get together next December 7th and go to the museum? And I thought, man, that's a great idea because of why. Why, why did you pick December 7th? Well, because it was a Wednesday, and it's the 81st anniversary of Pearl Harbor. That's right. So I thought, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Lugie and I are both uh, history buffs. We uh, both particularly uh, are interested in the World War II time, mm -hmm. uh, and so it was fun to do this together. We've actually done this before together uh, years ago, decades ago, actually. Yeah, that was about, I think, 18 years ago ish okay um so they've renovated everything and it looked very different but it was a fantastic exhibit the the content and everything was well we walked out and i said that's that is just humbling it and is and inspiring and is solemn and exhilarating and is so many things that went through my mind going through there. I appreciate there being a museum like this um, because, you know, we, we are well into generations now that don't understand what it means to, uh, to have to sacrifice. Um, and, and including, I think, um, including our generations, you know, they, that we, we've become very comfortable and, uh, and again, don't really understand it. I, those of you who are alumni and go years back, you'll remember one of our guest lecturers named Bud Accord. Bud was a missionary uh, as a young man. He served in World War II. And uh, he uh, was a, uh, a great guide taking you through this uh, museum when he mm -hmm. would come. Uh, students would love to go with him, and he would bring it all to life and, and really sober you up with things. And one day we were in the fish house at his hill, and I asked Bud, do you think our society as is right now could go through another world war? And without a second hesitation, he said, no. 
And he went on to explain, because our society does not comprehend what sacrifice means. And so I asked Lugi uh, to be thinking about that as we went through uh, the museum to make some observations. And we're going to we're just going to have a discussion here about that. You know, what are some things we saw in there that remind us of scriptural truths uh, regarding sacrifice? And I think, first of all, we want to, uh, to, to bring up the point that sacrifice is true of the character of God. We know from verses like uh, John chapter 3, verse 16, you know, familiar verse to all of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So sacrifice is, I, I, is, is something that should, uh, should really be natural to the one that is abiding in Christ. And I think it's, it's that we have a different way that we deal with giving these days that we would think like, oh, okay, well, Christmas is soon, and so I'm going to give you something. But like, it has to be within reasonable bounds. Hmm. I'm not going to give you something crazy, right? And so now we have giving as discussed in Scripture versus giving as in like, yeah, I mean, you know, if it's a license plate keychain or something that says Kelly, I might get that for you because that doesn't break the bank. And there are very, very different realms of the amount of giving. Like, am I transferring something from my possession to you? Mm. Yes. Mm. Are they within the same magnitude as what Scripture is talking about? Absolutely not. The, the selfless giving of something that is all of my essence. You don't get that, you know, for every single birthday. Like mm. it is, a, it is a, a one-time thing that it's echoed in smaller ways in a believer's life to those around them, I hope. Um, but the full extent of what we've received, we can't reproduce. We also shouldn't try to. That's not the point. It's right. not to shame you to say like, well, I gave them $100, so you better give them the same amount. Right. Like that's not, we're not called to duplicate um, as, as a believer. But we are to appreciate that there is an enormous sacrifice, which I guess we're going to unpack a little bit more yeah. of that, that idea of the giving. But to, to begin to understand, like in that discussion, we're not talking about a, a action that we see often repeated around us. There are sacrifices that take place. They are also sacrifices, but they are not to the degree to what God has already accomplished beforehand because of how much he valued us. Mm. We, we want to sacrifice, we want to give, and many give beyond what they should, according to, I guess, what you'd say, like in quotes, normal human mm. standards. Mm. Um, they give extravagantly, but there is nothing that compares, that is possible to compare, either individually or cumulatively, to, to the gift that we have received, to the sacrifice that has been made. Mm because we are not able to become God and to liaise with the universe on behalf of our entire race and also simultaneously our creator. We are 
not, it's not that we're just not fit, we're not able to, to take on that, that role. We're not expected to either. And I think that's the important thing with the various expectations of Scripture is that the expectations that Scripture has, Jesus is able to meet in us and through us because of what he did do. The sacrifice enables him. It, it makes it allowable in, in this way that having been redeemed, the sacrifice unlocks him, permits him to enter our life mm. in, that, in that way, in a fullness that isn't known or experienced in any other area. And that's, I think, the, the thing that leaves me somewhat speechless, as you can clearly hear from all me talking here. But it is really just having gone through this and seen this level of, of giving, of, of sacrifice, of, of, of I don't know that there's a, there's a better or stronger word from this description of World War II and all the things that happened there. Um, it, it leaves me looking for bigger words to express what happened because there's so much for so many lives for, for such a long period of time. Hmm. And the, the, without a decreasing demand during that time period that I think is just, that's the part that's so shocking hmm. that there would be an endurance during that. Yeah, I think, you know, along the lines of some of what you were just saying is... And, and to preface it a little bit more before I, I go on with the first topic is that we need to guard with, like so many characteristics of the Christian life, we need to guard against the thought that it's not required of me until I am rich or strong. Yeah. Uh, and so sacrifice, you know, that's true of, of living sacrificially. It's, it, it is to be true of the believer really at all times. Mm -hmm. I think, um, I'm thinking of Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Uh, something that you know, I've mentioned, I think, on the podcast before is a statement that Charlie once made, Charlie McCall, that the Bible knows nothing of the concept of worship that does not require sacrifice. And so we find here in this verse that worship is a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. No matter where we are, no matter what the circumstances may be, worship is to be our life. Yeah. And it is one of sacrifice. And sacrifice is not an act of convenience coming from a, you know, from a wealth of abundance you know, as far as I can afford to give this away. Yeah. Or I can afford to do this. Yeah. Sacrifice is not convenient. Sacrifice is costly. Yeah. God has demonstrated this. Christ, you know, his son demonstrates this on the cross. And so the verse goes on, or the passage goes on in the next verse. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that. So here's, here's the result of sacrifice. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Sacrifice is of necessity in the believer's life in that it brings about the image of God. It brings about what is, you know, what our salvation, the, 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 a deeper knowledge of our salvation, of mm -hmm. our relationship with the Lord. 
So it so it's not doesn't come from I've got this all together now I can do this. Yeah. And like we just saw in in the museum, this moment of sacrifice that was needed by the allies mm-hmm. came at a time that they were already in a bad place. The depression was already worldwide. Yeah. Well, it's not just that. It's that you've got an ongoing, yeah, you have an ongoing economic depression that is fueled by human attempts to fix it, right? What if we just print money? That'll fix it. And then Mm -hmm. suddenly it's this understanding of like, oh, wow, you've turned something that was worth a certain amount. And now you've absolutely destroyed the value because people understand that you've you've broken the right. basis right. of this bartering mechanism but then also just before that you've got the end of world war 1 which until that point was just the great war and it was the war to end all wars mm. and you you still have this late 1800s idea that like you know humanity is is just on the cusp of finally self-fulfilling itself and we've improved ourselves to this nth degree and i guess there are still struggles but those are only like unprogressive cultures that are far away from us or people in the past they had wars but we don't and how much world war one serves to just destroy that that illusion of um of just this innate goodness that through sincerity and through effort we manifest it and um this because there's so much stuff going on in that museum there's um that introduction section that we walk through and it talks about uh basically the prelude to um, the pacific war at least and what's going on in japan starting mm-hmm. from yeah. like the 1800s and one of the things is the the japanese uh, defeat of the russian baltic fleet which that whole thing is a comedy of errors that took months to go from Russia all the way around um, the Cape of Africa and arrive only to be defeated. But there's so much that happens there where um, the background for that, the whole reason that there's a conflict between Russia and Japan, the reason it takes place is because the czar has neglected the relationship, the diplomatic relationship with Japan. Hmm. And in the end, he doesn't believe that Japan will go to war with Russia because he does not wish it. Okay. And it's this incredible height of arrogance to say, well, I'm a superpower, and so things don't happen when I don't want them to. And I think like that is such a fantastic manifestation of so much of today's society and culture Mm. like well you know like we can cause things maybe not individually but as a society we're strong because we have these progressive values and basically our values are our security and they will protect us and we will summon the government to attend to our needs and then the government will do these things and we're projecting um idealism as as security and we're we're projecting good intentions and vibes and all of these things as the reason for why we are secure and we do not appreciate that we we live in a place in this world that there is so much that the lord is ongoingly doing and sustaining 
in, in all these different areas. And we enjoy what we do because of that. Mm. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Mm. And um, it, it also reminds me of, there's a section from the beginning of, of Les Mis where the bishop is talking and he's describing, um, I forget where the section is, but he talks about those who confuse success with skill. And this idea of saying like, well, why am I a big deal? Because I'm awesome. Mm. Because I'm fantastic. And this idea of like, are you successful? Yeah, well, then you must have been at fault. And the recognition for a believer to recognize like, <laughs> no, <laughs> you point in my life to what you want. That's the Lord who accomplished mm. that. You cannot blame me for the blessings that I have. You do not understand my God. Mm. That you would declare that I have these things because I'm smart. And I have brought these things to me. I think that is 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 also a lot of because of uh, and I think we're going to get to some of this. There's conveniences that were developed during the war out of necessity and expediency. Right. That we have the benefit now. Part is the mechanism that we're recording this stuff through. That um, we rely on those conveniences as a level of foundation in order to accomplish other stuff. And the reality is, is that if any of this stuff gets shut down or taken away. There's a level of, of incompetence that would be exposed that's already there. Hmm. I can remember my wife's phone number, but not anyone else's mm -hmm. because I don't need to. Right. Because I've got a square in my pocket that stores stuff. That's right. Yep. And I know my own email address, but like for everything else. Um, and these are things that like they've slowly atrophied through, through convenience. There are things that my wife and I are trying to figure out how to do now um, at our home, how to do things the way that people used to. Um, not because we have to, but we, we want to find out how to do these, these things in a different way. That um, how to do things better, not more. And how to do things that are, they're simpler, but they're not easier. And there's a, there's a value in that that we, we place because I think there's a lot of time and there's a lot of, I think, worship and opportunities of worship that we lose out on because we can fast forward so many things these days. And there's not any time in just appreciating the, the process that it takes to make butter, which is not a normal thing that normal people have to do. Um, and that doesn't, I don't become a better person because oh, I worked really hard and I mowed my grass by hand. But um, there is a, there is an appreciation. And when it talks about how it, it is good for a man to work, there are so many of those things there where you begin to, to understand that you can, you can give. And I think that from um, living your life as a holy, living in holy sacrifice, the, the sacrifice is not just that you financially give. And that's so much was, was embodied and just I was reminded in that museum that the, the giving is, is far beyond just finances. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think that generation was prepared for because they had gone through an incredible amount of, of suffering and loss um, from the First World War. And I think that rather than not universally, but I, I would think that having gone through that, 
there would be a desire to say this is not something that we will allow to happen a second time if we can prevent it because we have experienced what that means and we will not sit idly by and just allow this whole thing to redevelop all over again mm. and then through the great depression it was there's a joke of um i forget who it is now um was relating that uh, uh he lived through the great depression but as far as he was concerned it wasn't all that great <laughs> and um you had two options then you could work or starve yeah and he said he decided to combine the two by becoming a writer <laughs> and um but it's that this idea of um that's a time period marked with with an extreme depravity not in the sense of like your your morals have become depraved but the resources available to you have shrunken to a degree to where like you it doesn't matter how much money you have you can't get certain things anymore right they they no longer exist you can't go have them and um and i don't know unless i would go back and and relive without any knowledge of my current life i would have to relive that that time period for myself to know exactly how people were were marked by all of that well there's things we do know that they what they had to sacrifice i mean what's interesting about sacrifice is that it was required of all yeah you know in in that in that time period during world war 2 not just those that were in battle but those who were back home mm-hmm. there was there was a, a an element of sacrifice required by everybody um it makes me think as we were in romans 12 just continuing on in verse 3 it says for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly if prophecy according to the uh, appropriation pro- of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with, the, with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So there's, yeah, and this is all in the context of presenting your body a living sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Of a living and holy sacrifice. This is all part of worship. So sacrifice is uh, is required of all for the benefit of all, and we saw that here in the in the, in the museum. You know yeah. that that you know they there was the the ration cards that were given out. Uh, they were asked to make uh, do with less uh from things like from gasoline to sugar to toothpaste, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it was. Uh, the children were even given ration cards. Yeah, and and taught how to you know okay this is only how, how this is only so much I can I can have, um, and and they did that all for the benefit of the soldier uh, yeah. uh, of the military so that they would have enough um, of of these products. Um, they had an interesting section in there about how kids had the option to support the war effort. They would they could give up giving um, having bubble gum. Oh really. Yeah, I missed that. And there was a there was a some kind of coupon thing that they got in exchange for that. Okay. 
as a measurable way of giving them that feedback of saying like there is you choosing not to consume certain things this is a measurable token of the impact that you are making yeah, for the benefit of someone else yeah yeah th there was interesting things things i hadn't thought about like uh to uh, not to be a hot water hog yeah you know so you know they they needed to con we, we there, there needed to be a conservation for the benefit of others to wear uh warmer clothes instead of you know using the oil yeah. The, the, to heat the house, uh, the gas to heat the house. You know that that we needed that for wars. There is a uh, book from Bob Hope called "Don't Shoot, It's Only Me," and there's a section in there where it talks about basically he he builds up this whole um, and he presents it as the selfish mindset of of the activity of the world prior to the war, the impact that it had to those who were there when they heard the announcement of of war and the attack on Pearl Harbor. And then the change um, that took place in the broadcasting that he was involved in, but also even just the advertising, talking about like things to the effect of like, make sure you don't get sick. You being sick has an impact. Hmm. Don't do that. Wow. And like how that was also a form of, of impacting the whole war effort that you were... Um, it, not that you were stealing, but you were depriving. You were using up something that was needed elsewhere. Wow. You need, like... That's um, interesting. There's a whole section there talking about the development of synthetic rubber because natural rubber would deteriorate in the sun. Yeah. And so it had a shelf life. And when you're talking about a supply chain that extends across the Pacific Ocean, the different equipment that was chosen was chosen for reliability, not because it was the most high-tech and futuristic thing. But it's basically this idea of like, we're going to send this to the jungles and it better work when it gets there. Mm -hmm. And we better be able to fix it on the spot with whatever we have. If we need to ship it back to Boeing, this is not going to happen. And so many of those developments that took place were with this mindset of there needs to be something that can be made to send away from me. Right? Like the, the, okay. the, 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 the form of sacrifice, it was doing without but there was an active purpose of it was to support and to help and to assist and there was um the the rationing system was interesting because it wasn't just purely like honor based like hey please don't have too much at dinner but the whole the rationing books where you had a certain amount of points so that you had to furnish money when you wanted to buy something at a butcher shop but then you also had to give up a certain amount of points from this booklet right. so that you were then enabled to. So it wasn't just a matter of like, well, yeah, but if you were massively rich, you weren't impacted by it. Right. No, even the rich were, were required to use these rations. So if you had a million dollars, but your, your point book was empty, like that was it for red meat for you for the month. Right. And like that was, that was a a form of the sacrifice as well like that was the the way that rationing took place it was not consuming but then also going out of your way they had scrap drives for all kinds of things finding more materials finding ways to give and it really was that it was um the spirit wasn't of everyone is stealing from me but the spirit of it was this is altruistic mm. I am, I am not just hoarding. I am not just taking and not giving. Right. And the, the sacrifice, it was in so many areas of, of time, 
right, of um, where and how do you spend your time. They had those, the um, victory speed signs that we saw. Yeah. Drive 35 yeah. 35, victory. yeah. And the idea was like, yeah, you can still drive. Be mindful if you need to drive, if you need to travel. And then if you're going to, take longer to get there because at lower speeds, your engine uses less gasoline. Right. If you consume less gasoline, that is also there's all these forms of sacrifices. Yeah. If you consume less gasoline, there's more gasoline for the war effort. Yeah. There's more gasoline for the troops, for the yeah. pilots. For the, there's there's it's so the whole thing we're seeing here with sacrifice in that picture is that it's for the benefit, for the good of others. Yeah. And and so that's I think that's something that we need to, you know, we need to think about. We we, we need to think on that. You know, when the life of Christ is not about me, yeah. you look at Christ himself and how he lived. He lived a life that was all about his father. It lived toward others. Mm -hmm. And so if he's abiding in us, then should that not naturally be what is seen as we abide in him? A life that is about the father lived toward others. Yeah. You know, it's it's sacrificial. Well, that's that's the home front. So they had to. But of course, yeah. you know, the in the, the war itself, you know, the decisions were being made that were sacrificial in the fight even. Uh, and, and so the same should be, you know, because truth transcends. And yeah. so how, how is this seen, you know, in, a, in, a, in, in the believer who's abiding in Christ? What, what's Christ's life going to be like? Philippians 3.8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. You know, I, I think, you know, so often the the battle that we have in the flesh is that, okay, I'll sacrifice. Now, how can I l sacrifice in a comfortable way? Mm -hmm. You know, but no, it's, it involves suffering loss and, and in, in, but the, but for the benefit, for the victory of knowing Christ, there was some Examples given in in the museum, like the Doolittle raid, you know that yeah. that was that was insane. That was something that has never happened. Yeah, you know, and now they've got to come up with a way to do it. You know, and for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, this was just a little bit after uh, Pearl Harbor had been attacked. There was a um, uh, the the president w was trying to figure out a way that we could give a quick response that would hit the homeland of Japan. So we, he wanted to, to do something. We couldn't bomb them because we didn't have airfields close enough. Yeah. So the military came up with this really way out there idea of, of sending bombers off of an aircraft carrier, yeah. which had never been done before. Well, and so even the problem with it, the reason why it was unexpected and why it succeeded was because... On paper, it's a dumb idea. You have mm -hmm. medium bombers that are too heavy, and they require a runway that's longer than an aircraft right, carrier. Right, right. So therefore, you can't put this thing on an aircraft carrier and have it take off. Right. It will immediately fail. You're right. gonna just you're going to lawn dart them into the water. Right. And and that's it. But it was this all the different ways. There's there's a um, there's a movie that they made back in the day with Spencer Tracy, but all of the the effort that they put into it to figure out. How do you accomplish this? How do you shed weight on these aircraft? How do you take off into the wind to actually get enough lift? Um, and then 
you will, there, it's a one-way trip. You are going to get into these aircraft in order to be able to carry out this raid. Right. You can't fly back to the, and you to clearly, the aircraft carrier. Yeah. yeah. You, there's not enough fuel. So to just turn explain that. Well, the, the plan was to take off from the aircraft carrier, yep. bomb their targets in Japan, yep. and then land in China. If possible. Right. Or ditch, which is basically anywhere that you find yourself, land as you are able to, or take a parachute, and then make it back, which is like how many thousands of miles of terrain. Right. And you definitely don't have a plane because it's crashed in pieces. Now, as, as, as though this wasn't crazy enough, now they're spotted before they get to, yeah. the, to the position they wanted to be to take off. They're spotted early, so now they have to take off, which means they're not going to have enough fuel. To it's, it's a high chance of probability that they will not have enough fuel to land in yeah. China. Yeah. So now we see something with sacrifice. It, 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 sacrifice re requires continuing on despite the odds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we don't like that. Yeah. You know, that, that, that doesn't, that doesn't, I mean, it's, again, it, going back to Philippians 3.8, there's a suffering mm -hmm. in sacrifice. You, you wanted to say something. Go ahead. Yeah, there's, um, there's sections in Scripture that we read and we go, oh, okay, that's really nice. But, when I see these examples of people who lived out this to an extreme, suddenly I look at this and it's chilling because I'm like, wow, that this is a correct application of something that I have in my, in my casual reading from my cozy chair with my coffee. I have not put the proper weight on these words. From John 15, 12, it's written in red for some reason. It says, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Great. Then the next verse, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And that's something, there is a, um, there's a section, and I think it's in the museum, during the war, um, when it had gotten towards the, uh, the later stage, and the, uh, the American fleet is actually encountering the Japanese fleet, this is after Midway and, and after Coral Sea, and um, they're talking about one pilot is, is recounting of how, like, when they went on different raid missions and they would come back the, the following day, they would be able to sleep in, they'd be able to recuperate. And um, instead, he hears that um, all these planes have already been launched because he hears some kind of excitement. Mm. And he's running out on the deck, and there's a... Um, there's a float plane on a catapult where um, there's some kind of argument going on between the pilot and the catapult operator. And the, there's a captain not in the plane shouting at the catapult operator. He's only got 40 or 50 gallons of fuel trying to communicate that plane you're about to launch doesn't have enough gasoline on board. It just has this torpedo. And the pilot basically gives the order to launch anyway and takes off towards this target. Because he's recognizing that, and the, the the man who's relating what he saw in one of his one of his co-pilots and one of his colleagues, is there is this there is an ability to act now, mm. and this is what we do. Wow. the The opportunity to strike is what is valuable. Wow. To not relinquish the initiative, 
And he said, he took off, he said, I never found out if he released the target successfully or not. We never heard from him or his crew again. Wow. And it's this thing where these, these men who were operating this equipment, they, for the training that they got, they began to have an appreciation of how far can something go and how far can't something go. And they would push those limits intentionally. And the understanding was like, if you push these limits too far, that's it. Like your life is the consequence. You're going to break some metal pieces on some things, but you will probably die in this accident. Mm. And um, there are so many of these accounts in that museum of just people being willing to make these sacrifices of their life. And that's the other thing that, that struck me is you've got this like, okay, rationing, right? And it takes the form of wealth because you can actually buy war bonds. You can give money towards the war that way. You can give of time and energy and of resources to a to a limited but then also to an ultimate extreme you are also choosing to give of your future because for some people the war lasted six years and during that entire time they were not apprenticed to be whatever they wanted they were not at a law firm they were not learning how to be well maybe you were learning how to be a mechanic because that was actually yeah. in demand maybe you didn't want to be a mechanic but there are other people who they went out and they never returned and whatever opportunities they may have had, they may have been told, like, you know, you can be, well, not an astronaut at that time, but, but being an air, airline pilot, aircraft pilot, was, was the next thing to, to riding lasers through space because of how revolutionary it was. Lindbergh was a, was a legendary name. And um, some of them joined what was then the Army Air Service and then the Army Air Corps um, for that goal. Some of them were not given that opportunity. There's also an account in that Bob Hope book talking about he had a sprained ankle at one point and there's a um, someone from the army, um, a corpsman, who's looking at his ankle and he know, comments about how he looks nervous. And he says, you know, like, how did you get into the uh, into the medical corps? Were you an intern? No. Were you a, you know, medical student of some kind? No. It's like, well, how did you get here? And he said, well, I was drafted. And they picked me for the medical corps because under my previous employment, I had listed Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and he was literally, now it's like, congratulations, you're going to work on, on people who are wounded. Wow. And it's just this, like, whatever future you wanted, this is not the future you're experiencing right now. So just unbelievable like th those forms of sacrifice are things something that people these days would say i can give you two hundred dollars but i can't give you six years of my life right like that's not acceptable and then the next level beyond that like within all this fighting is that like and this is this is from personal growth that when you're single the idea of the consequences of your responsibilities you start to appreciate more and more the the significance of your actions but then when, you have, when you're married and you have a spouse, you begin to understand that your consequences are now very, very much linked to another person. And you cannot decide that the consequences of what you do will be limited to only you. That is not your choice anymore. Mm -hmm. You are responsible for your spouse. And then you have children. And these people were in that, that position. The horrible, um, horrible because of just the level of sacrifice again. The, um, was it the Stimson? brothers uh the sullivans sullivan brothers yeah and um how there was this whole thing during the war um yeah that, let's just tell them 
the Sullivan brothers, five brothers, yeah. that joined together and requested to serve on the same ship together. Yeah. And were all killed yeah. together. And so there's a whole section there just describing this mother and what she had gone through because the USS Juno had sunk, but it hadn't been broadcast because at that time there were still rescue efforts going on. And um, there was a whole society formed during that time um, where it was the, I think it was the um, Mothers of I think, Golden Stars. And the Golden Stars signified that you had lost a child. Mm. And people would have these um, these placards or banners or something that they would put at the front of their house. And there were some that had one, two, three, four, five stars yeah. signifying all the children that they had lost. And in terms of a sacrifice. And that... That one room, I think, was just an incredible place to appreciate that when I'm in my, my immature eight-year-old child mind and there are big guns and big ships and there are planes that fly and go vroom, right? Like, that is part of it. And that's this, this powerful part of, of any war. But then you transfer to the consequences. They had this letter from that woman writing to the Navy board, her requesting to know if her sons had died or not, mm -hmm. stating that she was going to christen a certain ship and whether or not something had happened to her children, she was still going to go through with that because that is what they would have wanted. Yeah. And there is this combined sharing of, she had imparted something to her children about duty and about honor and about service. And then, in a way, you could say, wow, that really came back to bite her, huh? But then she continued to live out those values. Mm -hmm. I am not going to now back down from this out of, out of a sense of bitterness. It's interesting, the wording. The, when the president found out this had happened, he sent her a letter. Yeah. And it's part, part of it read like this. Uh, we who remain to carry on the fight must maintain the spirit in the knowledge that such sacrifice is not in vain. Yeah. You know, there's that, the whole idea that, that sacrifice does not involve or will not involve suffering or loss mm -hmm. is, uh, is fiction. Mm -hmm. That it's costly. Yeah. And it was recognized that this family had, had, you know, had, had given above and beyond yeah this was costly and what an incredible picture you know to uh, of uh, you know uh, what an incredible illustration of suffering loss yeah but as believers you know we we we, we really struggle with that i i know i know i do mm -hmm. you know always looking for the comfortable way to serve yeah or the comfortable way the safe way the protective way when you know the, the lord tells us listen uh they're gonna hate you mm -hmm. you know they hated me john chapter 15 we love to talk about the first part of that chapter if you abide in me and i abide in you you'll produce much fruit yeah but we go on and we see that the, the what's it what's also involved in that abiding mm -hmm. is the hatred that comes uh you know th th there's there's no escaping this suffering loss Mm -hmm. to to be a living sacrifice. I was uh, talking with Major Thomas one time uh, about war mm -hmm. uh, because obviously 
he knew what it was and I don't. So yeah. I just asked him it, it just after thinking about it, Major, I, I, I want to ask you about this. I have a thought and, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong. And he said, okay. It would appear to me that once, you, you know, from things that I've read and things that I've seen in movies, that once you are engaged in battle, you, the only thing that's driving you at that point is the person next to you. You're fighting for the person next to you. His eyes lit up. He looked at me and said, that is exactly right. Mm-hmm. You are fighting for your comrade. You are fighting for him and he's fighting for you. Um I, 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 we saw one of the stories in the museum on this where, you know, one man said that he was asked to go out on some kind of patrol. It was just a, a just a casual thing to do that day, yeah. I think. It wasn't a real big thing. And they came under any enemy fire. They were pinned down. And he took it on himself. To He saw the only way this is going to be handled is if someone handles it. So he jumped up and ran into the fire. Yeah. Uh, to you know, to to put an end to this. Yeah. Ran forward, got to the top of the hill, sprayed fire down on the other side, and he says he turns around to, like, cheer and wave the guys on. Well, they had already started running, but they didn't run towards him. They had retreated. <laughs> they had retreated back to the command post. Yeah. And it was this thing, and that's uh, in Band of Brothers. The same thing is is shown there, where Winters is the captain. Yeah. He leads this charge, and he doesn't look back. Yeah. And the the portrayal it's done in two segments in that episode, where um, you have this first person view impression that just seems very very chaotic, and then later on when you see the rest of the episode and he's giving this order of like okay he's going to throw the smoke grenade and when you see the smoke follow he starts running right away, and then these other guys in the trenches are like okay let's go and one guy grabs the guy beside him and is like no no wait he said not until we see the smoke and the smoke grenade's just sitting there. And they see their officer getting further and further and further away. And then there's a smoke. And then they start yeah. running. He has no idea that he gets to the top of this hill on his own. There is no one for a huge distance behind him. Right. And then they do catch up. But just that, like that is a, there is a selflessness that is embodied in that. That is just incredible. And it's not a selflessness in the midst of comfort. But no. it's a selflessness in the midst of danger. Yeah personal danger even in, in, in these examples. I, but then this is, should be true of us as believers who mm-hmm. abide in Christ. If he's, if he's living through us, Ephesians 5, 2, and we walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, th- this, this should be true of us. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's what's so great about it is when you see the enormity of this, when you understand that this isn't a fictional account. Like, let me tell you about these space wizard stories that I invented. Mm. You can hear along. You're like, okay, that's really mm-hmm. nifty. You you go to a place like this and you understand this isn't fiction. This really happened. Right. These are men that chose to do this. These are women right. that chose to go through with this. And then the the immediate implication of thoughts that go through mind of like, would I be able to do this? No. Why not? Because I'm probably too fat and comfortable, hmm. frankly. Hmm. But then so were they until they were asked to go forward. And there's accounts in different books about people who are otherwise like meek and people you wouldn't expect 
to take these actions and they choose to in the moment when it's presented to them. And that's the manifestation, I think, of this, this living in holy sacrifice. It's not that you have an action plan to become the Jackie Chan of your own dreams mm. in these social situations or whatever it is, but that you simply are going from moment to moment, being dependent on what Jesus has for right. you. And you're living, you're yeah. just living. And these people, Jimmy Doolittle wasn't trying to become like the Jimmy Doolittle that he'd read about. Right. Because no one had done this before. Right. But it was simply, what's the next thing? And I think what I like about this is this is a setting that raises the bar so far beyond what I have any experience in. Mm. And so far beyond anything that I don't assume that this will happen to me. Mm. Just like those guys. <laughs> they well, didn't you, assume it well, would happen to you know, them. The, the story that we, we talked about earlier, of the, the, the man that you know, was pinned down with the others yeah. and just took off to... What got me, because it was a recording of him telling yeah. the story, and what got me is it was just so matter-of-fact. Yeah. So, you know, we're pinned down, and so you know, I had to go up and do it. And it was yeah. like, oh, my goodness. But this just, it was came natural. Yeah. Yeah. But they're, they're doing the next thing. Right, and, right. And I think for, for any believer to appreciate that, when we look at another believer and we think, wow, I could never do what they did, to appreciate that they would probably agree with you. Hmm. If you recounted the impact that they had on your life, hopefully they would have the honesty and the decency to say, yeah, and you didn't witness me being amazing. But that simply was the life of Jesus. Yeah. And I think that's the, um, the, the manifestation of these things. It, it made me think of from James um, chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And again, that is a concept that we've so shrunken down to a manageable objective yeah. in our lives and a manageable task that trials. Um, but coming out of this war museum now, and now suddenly this concept of trials is, is in us at a scale that is much greater than me. And now consider it joy, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Mm. It really is this statement of when you see something and you know you can't handle it, welcome that. Mm. Because you understand at that point, like if, if Jesus isn't real, there's nothing that's going to happen right. here. This is going to be a wet squib mm. and it's going to be really embarrassing mm. for all parties involved. Right. But if my God is the way, the truth, and the life, mm -hmm. if Jesus has been raised and if he does live in me, as scripture declares, then those are the opportunities for him to prove himself to be real and living and active and clearly beyond just my, my, it, it, that's the difference of, is this actually Jesus or is this me manifesting the power of positive thinking? Right. You know, like if I just hope versus this is a complete impossibility mm. and I need the creator of the universe to speak and work through me in a way that I, I cannot do and I never will be able to do. And even after yeah. he has done, I do not have the ability. Yeah, I think sacrifice is, uh, yeah, there's some of our noise. I don't know if you can hear that. We've got a helicopter flying overhead. But, you know, I, I think we see the, there is, the, there, there is benefit 
and, the, and by by the Lord's by His grace, His goodness to us, there's benefit in sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and we um, we you know just some more illustrations. What we see, you know, these people that this the, the, the world that time is is having to sacrifice to go through this. But some of the benefits in that we saw was the, you know, the blood plasma transfusions comes mm-hmm. as a result of this sacrifice, having to go to war. Uh, the electronic computers came about at that time yeah. because they had to, they, you know, they were up until then, they were having to make these calculations with pencil and paper, you know. Yep. Um, and, and now the computers start to be used. Uh, radar comes onto the scene. Yeah. Uh, these things, some of these things were kind of, st- they were starting to tinker with, but because of the the sacrifice at hand, the war, mm-hmm. there was an acceleration of necessity at needing to be yeah. done. And so with the, the passage you were bringing up from James, you know, that, you know, there is benefit in these trials. Mm-hmm. And in it being that, be, coming to that, that being made, that state of being made perfect and complete. Mm-hmm. And we know from Scripture that our completeness is found in Christ, Colossians 2. You know, that, yeah, this is, this is all part of what, of his life it's all yeah. part of his image being manifest in us yeah and i think that's a huge part of living that we have to appreciate then when we when we talk about these high and lofty promises of scripture that they they can't be theoretical and academic right because there's no value to them at that point right unless we all just live in a university for the rest of our lives and never yeah. go outside yeah. that those are the things that you've got these the promise is usually the first thing that we receive and then there's a reversal of circumstances that makes the promise completely impossible and then the reality of the lord's working in our life is what breaks through that and it really is there to communicate to us that we have a basis for hope and for trust Mm. and it's mostly after we've convinced ourselves that this is not difficult but impossible right and the Lord is careful to allow those so that we have an appreciation. We've convinced ourselves the promise is impossible. It will never happen. Mm. And then he does something that is incredible. Yeah. And usually those are things that other people will look at and will say, well, that's cute. But there's a, there's a, a level of intimacy in how he works that speaks to us in a way that we understand. Like, I, I could not have caused that. I could not have responded like that. Mm-hmm. Do you understand how big of an idiot this person is? I don't have the capacity within me to be patient with that. How can you explain to me how I did that? You think I just turned a switch and didn't care and wasn't hurt by these things and didn't respond? And I think that is that is that that bit about the the demands of scripture. Christ is the one who meets those demands. We yield not because we know how every circumstance will end but we yield expecting him in those circumstances right. and we we grow from faith to faith right that as we are stretched we we have that continuous cycle we try to use the coping mechanisms that we've developed and the lord allows those to fail on purpose so that we will see that that's a shameful and, and mm. petty way to live mm. and then we try to work to shrink the circumstance so that's not actually as big and as dangerous to us as we perceive Right. And when that fails, that's usually where there's this explosion of faith. And our faith grows to a degree that beforehand we're like, there's no way I could handle that circumstance. And I think about that especially now because I've got three kids, age five and seven and nine. And I think about if I was in a circumstance where I'd lost my children, 
would I be able to handle that? No. Right. There is no way. Right. I have no grace for that. And that's true. Right. I, but my, my hope is not that I prepare myself. Right. But is that as I move from thing to thing, the Lord is faithful to go before exactly. me. And he speaks through and in all those circumstances. Right. And I think that would have been a huge part of it is that there are those believers of that time that as they went through those, that they would grieve with one another. Mm -hmm. And the, the ability to, to know that you are not alone in that suffering, it's not a brief inconvenience, but that you are suffering and that you are not alone and that willingness to band together and to continue to, to, to push forward and to contribute. That is something that that people try to write about and they try to encapsulate that incredible time period from for, for the United States from 1941 to 45 for Britain it was even longer right the time of doing without um, keep calm and carry on and that is as believers what we are part of for a much much longer time period that the extent of what happens in my life is not just for my life and for my family but that is something that, you know, that my life is a continued narrative from things that happened in generations prior. And that's, that's the thing that you know, kind of struck me here with the, the Doolittle raid was not about one single airplane winning the war. Right? This is not Luke Skywalker blowing up the Death It wasn't Star. even a major dent in the, no. in, in the fight itself. It was well, a very minor thing as far as the extent of damage they could do. But it, but it was, so this is, I'm not a nerd at all, but of course I'm reading about what Eisenhower wrote. There's a section where he talks about security is roughly defined as the spiritual capacity, the economic capacity, and the military capacity multiplied by each other. Mm -hmm. And when any one of those products reaches Nero or near zero, the total product is also, it dwindles down to nothing. Mm. You, you don't add... Do we have lots of armed forces? Well, right. fantastic. Then we can win. Right. It's you do have to account. Can your economy support it? Which was a huge part of if if you read into the the Cold War planning, it wasn't just like can we fight, but can we do it without bankrupting our our country? Right. That is a level of consideration. But then the spirituality of a nation is also part of that. And if you have the best economy in the world and the best military in the world you will not win hmm. because you do not have a basis on which to continue. Right. And that's, I, I've heard accounts of that with the war on terror, um, people who deployed and a friend of ours um, who was a um, support to machine gunner and the guy he was assigned to, who he trained with, they got over there and he said, I'm done with this. This is not what I signed up for. Hmm. And so suddenly he was the machine gunner. And they had to find someone else as a loader because you have this basis of like, well, why am I fighting? And I think that I, I, I hope and I don't believe that that encomp encompasses the entire armed forces of our nation. I don't think that at all. But I think that is an example of the problem with like, why wouldn't our society be able to sustain this? That willingness like that was one person, arguably one person who said, I am not going to continue fighting for the person beside me. Mm. And I think that as believers, it's the same thing mm. where we say like, well, I, I don't want to keep praying. It's kind of boring and I don't see immediate result. 
but we right. are we are told to continue to pray, not as a last resort, but to recognize that our efforts and our sincerity to to help others, those are sincere, but apart from the Lord doing something, that that is a an empty effort. There's there's nothing to that. Right. There there has to be something much greater than that, and that's something I spoke to Peter Thomas, the major's son, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he related to uh, to me how his dad, while he's fighting, the major was part of the British Expeditionary Force that was evacuated at Dunkirk. He had seen a lot of things. And there are, were letters coming back home during the war where he's talking about he's already praying for the youth of Germany. That having gone through everything that he did, he didn't see that every single German is basically only evil all the time. Right. But this already this desire and this heart that he had to to see a healing return to that. I think that is that is not an expression of him as a young man saying, I want to just see good and nice things happen. Mm. But that is the Lord working not because of circumstances, but despite the experiences. And using those to really magnify the expectations to say, love one another. Mm. Okay. Well, now you've seen a lot of people who have been wounded and killed. And what are you going to do to these people who have wounded and killed those people? Well, we're going to see if we can somehow get them over to England to be unified and to, to see some healing. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Right. There's so much of that that is the, the, the true meaning of that is beyond human capacity. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's so many examples of that of believers after World War II having to, like Corey Ten Boom, it, was, it required yes. a sacrifice from her to love. Yeah. But, you know, in working through that with the Lord, mm -hmm. he brought her to that point where she could love, yeah. she could forgive. Uh, you know, there's an incredible picture there uh, in, at Cape and Ray Hall of, of Corey Ten Boom. She was there to visit. And all these German children standing around her, and and they're you know they're she has a big smile on her face, you know, yeah. and, and where she had to work through that with the Lord, but that was the, that was the Lord's faithfulness. She could sacrifice yeah. because He was the enablement. Yeah, and I think that's really what I, I you know we we do want to get across is that while sacrifice is of necessity and must be seen in the believer, it does not come from the from from the believer determining i'm going to sacrifice yeah it's it's the it, it is the outcome so you know then what do we do well we kind of go back to where we started present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice i love what bob hobson another guest speaker used to tell us every day i jump out of bed and drop dead <laughs> i lord, love that one yeah lord this is your day where are we going yeah a living sacrifice yeah, there's a there's a quote from the majors that I was reminded of. Of godliness is not the consequence of your capacity to imitate God, but mm. the consequence of His capacity to reproduce Himself in you. Right, and that it's not a replication, but it is a manifestation. Right, of an individual capable of thought, and capable of communicating. That we do not have to we do not have to pray the Lord into a circumstance and convince Him to love us. But he has preceded us with such a passion that the idea that we have to get him on board with with loving and giving is ludicrous. That's more of an evidence that we have not fully understood how much 
we are valued to him. Mm. Talking about Hebrews, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. Right. The, the joy before him was the opportunity to redeem mankind mm. and the expectations of scripture to like, now you go sacrifice. It's not now whip yourself and be sad, mm -hmm. but it's you have this indwelling. Allow it, permit this indwelling to manifest it because the indwelling wants to, Jesus wants to manifest himself. Stop squandering that. The opportunities are made available to you. Be available to what comes along, not be available to what you've decided is acceptable. And that is simply moving from, growing from faith to faith. Well, my guest again today has been a familiar voice to us. He's been on the podcast several times before. It's been Lugie Regeer. Lugie is both alumni and former staff, lives in the local area with his family. And uh, we, again, we're just able to spend some time together and wanted to share with you some insight that the Lord's given us on the topic of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And I hope that it's been a blessing to you. Lugie, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. You've been listening to the His Hill podcast featuring our host, Kelly Doherty and Lugie Regeer. Thank you so much for tuning in with us this week. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ alumni. He is for you. I'm Lizzie. See you next week.